Well, like Eric said, we, we try to have purpose here, and, and everything on this announcement sheet fits our vision, and if you flip it over, we don't waste one ounce of paper. <laughs> this is the outline uh, for today's sermon. We're talking about true faith works. And the more you read a book, the more you come to understand it. And the more time I've spent with the book of James, I used to think the heart of the book was James 2, 14 through 26. Faith without works is dead. But um, in revisiting it this week, I think the heart of the book of James, and you should have a handout in front of you. If not, you can share one. The heart of the book of James is James 3. James is writing to a, a group of people who need to be encouraged on how to live godly and wise in a corrupt culture. And he captures it in six verses there in James 3, 13 through 18. It is the heart of the book of James. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. And he's going to say, what is the good life? Right here he describes it. The good life are deeds done. So it's seen in our works. There is faith without works right there. In humility, so these deeds are done with a certain attitude that comes from wisdom because that humility, that wisdom that you understand on how to live life brings you down and humbles you and says, this is how we should do it. And he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, that's where it begins. That's why I said it's the heart of the book of James. It begins in your heart. Do not boast or deny the truth. This wisdom or such wisdom in quotes, I like the NIV presentation there, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, those two things, that if you, if you have not, you want it, or you go after it with reckless abandon, there you find disorder in every vile practice or every evil practice. But the wisdom from above, this, what Terry was talking about, this, uh, this better way is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I read that to you because almost, you can do this study on your own and check me on it, all the, if not directly, those words are in every other passage in this book. Those words in those six verses are in every other passage. And what I've tried to do below, two ways to live, is the narrow, freeing path of heavenly wisdom and the wide, enslaving road of earthly, in quotes, wisdom. There is a wide way, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a wide road and many go down it. And it is an earthly road. And there's this narrow, and I put freeing because we live in a culture who says, well, if you, if you walk the way of, of the Christian, you know, all those don'ts, all those Ten Commandments, you, you live a narrow life and you can't have any fun. No, that's just not the case. It's a freeing path. It's not enslaving. And so you see it all the way out through the book of James. There's joy in trials. There's this growth. He even touches on wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so there's the wisdom from above. He talks about humility. Let the, the poor man boast in his humility. And after the blessing of trials, this crown of life, there's your harvest of righteousness. And in uh, the temptations, it's not God enticing us. It's our own desires. He talks about that in 4, 1 through 10. And there's this understanding. 
Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. There's that idea of heavenly wisdom. And that hearing and doing the word we, word, we pull the filthy weeds of wickedness and we sow seeds of God's word and good works. Worthless religion, he says in 126, is an unbridled tongue and a deceived heart. In 127, compassionate hands and clean hearts are what he calls for. And then he shows you again, don't be showing partiality, which is evil thinking and judgmental and dishonoring your brother and sister, but show mercy. You're led by the law of liberty, which is a fruitful victory. Mercy, the mercy triumphs over judgment. And then you get into faith works. And and our good life shown in humble deeds from wise mind is opposed to earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He even says in James 2.19, the demons believe and they shudder. And we looked at the untamed tongue. It is a world of evil and it shows that the divided tongue shows a divided heart. Out of the mouth shouldn't flow blessings and cursings. And then the prideful heart we looked at last week. And here's a connection. Notice this in 4 where it says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet. Those two words, desire and covet, somebody pointed out to me last week, are directly related to to 3, 13 through 18, the idea of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Desires are not bad in and of themselves, but when a desire becomes a demand, it becomes destructive. It's selfish ambition. So you desire is selfish ambition. You covet, that's bitter jealousy. It's all connected to that, that, that paragraph there in 13 through 18. It would be a good one to memorize. Who is wise and understanding among us? Let that person show by their good life deeds done in humility according to wisdom. That's good. And so today... We're going to carry on. Last week we saw that conflict was a cancer. And today we're going to see the high-risk areas that can be affected uh, by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Turn with me, if you're not already there, to James 4, verse 11. Um, Last week we talked about cancer, and we talked about uh, that cancer can creep in, and and it comes in the form of conflict, and it can destroy. It can take lives. I introduced my aunt whose life was taken by cancer and a friend of mine named Todd whose life wasn't. Just as illustrations, no, don't look any further than that. But cancer can destroy, but but cancer can be uh, conquered. And so today we're going to look at three areas. They're high-risk areas. Some of you may have medical issues like myself. I am high-risk for heart attack. If you look at my family's history, I have an uncle who died of a heart attack, my mother's brother. I have a father who died of a heart attack. So it's coming at me from both directions. So I don't make it normal practice to eat french fries and pizza daily. Just once in a while, yesterday. First time, and it wasn't, you know, it's side story. You, you eat something that you haven't had in a while and it's not really that good. It just doesn't make you want to have it anymore. You're like, these fries really aren't that good. Anywho, I am a high risk for heart attack. And so here we're looking at high risk areas. So I've got to watch my cholesterol. Here we're going to have to watch two things. We're going to have to watch our words and our works. Our words and our works. That's how you know somebody. Amen? That's how you know people. You know them from what they say and what they do. 
In fact, J. Dwight Pentecost, who is probably at now 200 years old, still working at, at uh, Dallas Seminary, wrote a book about Jesus called The Words and Works of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. I'm going to present him to you by what he says, the I am statements, uh, those, those, uh, the sermons that he does in Matthew, and his works, his miracles, that how he takes care of, of people. That's how you know Jesus, and that's how we know other people. Our words and our works, and those are the two high-risk areas. First, we need to look at our words, that our speech needs to be honoring. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. It's a family. We've been talking about this since the time I've got. This is a family. This is not just a congregation where we come and we show up on Sunday, we sing a few songs, you hear a few words, you get a few announcements, and then go. We're a family. We're involved in each other's life. There's brothers, there's sisters, there's younger, there's older. We're supposed to be discipling the next generation. The one who speaks evil against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so when we speak evil, uh, it comes in two forms. If you were to check cross-references there, it comes in the form of gossip and slander. What is being said and how it's being said. And we can't partake in either of those. We can't say something that we wouldn't say to somebody's face. And even when we say it to their face, we can't be belittling. We can't be mean. We can't be uh, rude with that because that is speaking evil. And when we do that, it reveals our heart attitude. I'm the judge. I get to say what I want. I know what's best. And that, James says, is a blasphemous thing. He says there's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, and he is not you. Implication, that is God. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The triune God is the only judge. From Genesis 18, will not the judge of the world do what's right? To Exodus 19, that one who rules as judge and king gives the law. And Revelation 24 just talks about Jesus coming to judge. There is only one. It's the triune God. It's not us. And so when we speak evil with our mouths, we set ourselves up. That's not who we are. We're not the king. Now that doesn't mean we're not something because Philippians 3.20 says, no, but we are citizens of heaven who await the Savior. So we're citizens and we should speak as citizens of the sovereign, the king. And down below on your handout, I've given you two ways to do that. In uh, the third outline there, I've put two verses together that I think will help us in this how we should speak to one another. Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. If there's one area in life where you're to be divinely competitive, it's to outdo one another in showing honor by speaking the truth in love. So we're to honor our brother and sister in what we say. We're to love our brother and sister in how we say it. Honor in what we say, love in how we say it. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means I'm going to outdo you in showing honor when I speak to you and about you. And if our speech should be marked by humility, then we so should our service. And that leads us quickly into the next section. If you notice 4.13, come now, you who say. And if you notice 5.1, it says come now. That ties that 
those two paragraphs together. That now he's moving from our words. You who, and he's been talking about it. That's why I'm not spending so much time there. James 3, 1 through 12 goes into depth, the power of our tongues. Now he's going to talk about our work. And work is broader than just what's nine to five. This is all of our life. Come now connects 413 and 5, 1 through 6. Each paragraph is looking at a particular group of people. Here it's the rich, but we can expand those principles to our life. We should not be prideful when we and presume upon God, nor should we be prideful and persecute people. Here's what he says. Come now, you who say, and this is the prideful person who's presuming, presuming upon God's grace, Ah, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a place, a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Is that a bad thing? To be prepared today or tomorrow to to have a place to go and to be there for a period of time and to serve a particular purpose? No. It's the attitude. Today or tomorrow, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll go there. James says... That's a bold declaration, but that's a prideful presumption. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't. Jesus said that. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now today brought us some snow. We don't know what tomorrow will be like. We don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has troubles of its own. And they're in tomorrow. So don't worry about tomorrow. You're presumptuous trying to get your whole life organized. For what is your life? You're but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is fragile. It's a little mist and then it vanishes. It's fleeting. Life is quickly passing. There's a whole book called Ecclesiastes. You can try to find your happiness in pleasure, in business, Uh, in all sorts of things. But if you don't fear God and do His commands, you've missed it. We've missed it. But He gives us this gracious correction. Instead, it's a switch. You, You talk like this, but instead. That instead is a huge word. It's to make you go, everything that was just said is not a good thing with its attitude. Instead, I have... should have this attitude. It means in this high-risk area of cholesterol, I shouldn't eat pizza and fries and all these things every day. Instead, I should have salad and vegetables and beets and things like smothered in ranch. No, I'm just kidding. But Right? Instead, that's what he's saying. Don't do this. Do this. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Did you see the three things there? There's God's sovereignty. If the Lord wills, today's priority, we shall live today. We're not promised tomorrow. Today, we shall live. And then tomorrow's strategy, we shall do this or that. So this idea of going today or tomorrow, to a certain place for a period of time for a specific purpose is not wrong. In fact, James in the the Bible, for that matter, has nothing against planning. In fact, they have everything about planning. Proverbs 6, 
15.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. James and the Scripture are not against planning. They're against prideful planning. And they're against the lack of planning. Instead, you ought to say three things. If the Lord wills, God is sovereign. Today's priority, I'm going to live today, but, but I am actually going to think through the future. We shall do this or that. Those three things James assumes we're all going to do. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. You either A, don't plan, which is really a plan in and of itself, or B, you plan in arrogance. All such boasting is evil, says James. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In the immediate context, in the immediate context, verse 17 is saying, we ought to plan. You ought to have a plan. Every person in here ought to have a plan, but we ought to plan, as it says in 3b there, with a providential perspective. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Paul's saying it's foolish if we don't think ahead and make the best of our days, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that will of the Lord he's talking about there is not the will of God that we can never know, His hidden will. It is His revealed will to make disciples who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as theirself. So we should... Our words should be spoken. Outdo one another in showing honor by speaking the truth in love. And we should plan with a providential perspective. And so in here, there, there are usually two camps that people fall on. The non-planner, shoot from the hipper, and the over-planner, right? Neither one of those, according to the scriptures, the over-planner is kind of prideful. I, I'm going to plan this down to the very minute. Somebody asked me in Sunday school today, when is Jesus coming back? I told him I'd tell him next week right down to the second. Just kidding. Big joke. Everybody laughed. I don't know. He's coming back. We have a general idea. But the shoot from the hip, or I, I can't make that plan because this is where America lives. Something better might come along. I can't commit to X because, you know, if I commit to X and then Y comes along and Y's a lot more, you know, fun... So I will just never commit to X. That's not biblical. That's taking yet let your yes be yes and saying I'm never going to make a plan because my yes has to be yes. No. Commit. Commit your ways to the Lord. Another proverb. And let your yes be yes. Proverbs 15.4 Swear to your own hurt and do not change. You say you're going to do something? Do it. Guess what? How do we apply this today, right? Here's what we do. There are 40 days starting tomorrow to the year end. 40 days. So I will ask you, if you have a pen, to take, take that pen and write on a piece of paper, take just 30 seconds here, write one thing down that if you implemented it in the next 40 days, you know it would have 
great effects on your life, personal life with the Lord, your family life, your business, whatever. We're going to have 30 seconds, moment of silence. Write it down. What one thing, if you were to implement that within the next 40 days, or at least start to implement it, could help change your life for the better? Now, take that home and then think through what are the next steps? Because whatever's on your heart right there, you know, okay, personally, I I could spend some more time with the Lord or I could get on um, some sort of fitness program or whatever it is. Family, I I know I could do this. I could plan a vacation or I could plan some more time for us to, to do things as a family or church community next week. We're, we're almost through with it spring calendar for this church so that you can see where we're headed as a family and be a part. And so what we do is we take that and then we take what we've written down and we do exactly what James says. If the Lord wills, I will do this. Lord willing. That's what we submit that plan to God. And then we take that plan and we put it aside because we've got 13 hours left in this day. And today's what counts. Should we plan? Whatever you wrote down, that's what's on your heart. You should work on that. If you didn't write anything down, keep it in your head. Just don't let it get lost with all the other things that will come into your head today. But We've got 13 hours left. 12 hours and 58 minutes to be exact. 30 seconds. What are we going to do today? Because that's what James says. If the Lord wills, God's sovereignty, we shall live today's priority. What am I going to do today that will honor God, invest in my family, and spread the gospel to the kingdom, through the, through the earth? What am I going to do today? I have in-laws coming in town. So we have a plan. Now, it may be a delayed plan because they're from Texas and there's a lot of white stuff out there and they're going to be really white knuckling it. It's a steep school. Where am I headed? We'll be here. We may have to go get them, right? We'll go get them. we got a Jeep right here. We'll get them. We'll drag them. Let's put a winch on. What are we going to do today? Plan with a providential perspective. Think through. It has been told to me, it was told to me last week by somebody that we spend more time thinking through our family vacations than we do our financial plan for the future. We will spend all this time and hours and we'll do research and flights and all that, but then when it comes to planning the future for our family, it's, yeah, we'll just kind of, we'll be there. And if that goes against the grain James says plan with a providential perspective. Then he moves on that now that you've planned your work, now he says work your plan in 5, 1 through 6, and there's a way to do it, and this is not the right way. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
He's hearkening back to 4 where it says, Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. It reminds me of the Veggie Tales where the guy said, don't you think that was kind of harsh? That was kind of harsh. But he's right. He gives the point. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You've stored up treasure on heaven. You're focused in the here and now. You you are so consumed with riches and pleasure, says James to these rich. They're going to these treasures are going to be evidence against you. Behold, they've they've withheld wages. The wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. James is saying, be sad over your sin. Be sad over building your life on earthbound treasures. And he says, you can hide that from some, but God sees all. God sees it all. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts, or if you have a New American Standard, the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord Almighty. All of those are pointing to you try to hide, but there's a God in heaven who sees everything and He rules over all. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord of, when it says Lord of hosts, that's literally what it is. He is overseeing everything. Angels, devils do not act apart from His sovereign will. From where did you come from? Roaming about on earth. Seen my servant Job? He's blameless, upright, fears me, and turns away from evil. Yeah, well, he's the Lord of hosts. And so it's demonic when we try to hide because the Lord of hosts sees. But here's the beauty of James. He, he gets real tough, and then he throws the grace right there. In verse 5, God in His abundant grace reveals the tragic mistake. He didn't have to, but He did. You lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgent. You fatten your hearts. See, it's all going back to the heart. In a day of slaughter, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He, the Lord of hosts, does not resist you. And so God, in His grace, says, here's where you've gone wrong. So you can make that correction. And down below in the third Roman numeral, the application, our words and our works applied to life. Live above for the Lord Almighty. Live above. That goes back to James 13. Not wisdom from below. Wisdom from below says, store up your treasures on earth. Be ruthless in how you do business or go about life. Be manipulative. Be mean. Be angry. Be whatever. That, whatever it takes to get ahead, just do that. James says, no, that is wisdom from below. But the wisdom from above, from above, it's, it's pure. You can present your plans to anyone and nobody, nobody will say, wow, you're above reproach. It's peaceable. There's, a, there's, a, there's an atmosphere of peace. It's gentle. It's submissive. 
didn't point that out in the review, but there it is. Here it's open to reason, but I think submissive is good. It's submissive. Submit yourselves to God. Flee the devil. Resist him. He will flee from you. How do you do that? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Clean your heart. Be sad. Be humble. The answer is right there for those who at this time were taking advantage of people for their own selfish, their selfish ambition. Your luxury, your self-indulgence. He does not resist you. When we are prideful, God will not resist us. It is a scary thing. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because God opposes the proud. He puts His dukes up to the proud. You say, well, can you kind of, those are our words and those are our works. Can you kind of tie this all together? Sure. The two threads that tie those three paragraphs together, 4, 11, and 12, 4, 13 through 17, 5, 1 through 6, are our weakness and His strength. Our weakness and His strength. In our fleshly weakness, we speak evil. But in His strength, we have a judge who has saved us from those evil speaking sins so that we might outdo one another in showing honor and speak the truth in love. Our weakness is either we overplan or we don't plan and we just kind of go about life. One person has said, you, you overestimate what you can do in a month, but you underestimate what you can do in a year. I've already thought about what I'm going to do next year. Not, it is not praise be to me. It's just I'm convinced of this and I see my own life where I don't plan. I'm weak. If I, if I'm weak. Inertia takes me in front of the television. It does. Right? If I don't plan and have a plan, what are we going to do today? Well, uh, what's on the TV? I mean, that's, that's a good thing to do. Woo! There's a fisherman. Woo! There's the weather channel. No, have a plan. Plan. Now, I'm not talking about January 1 from 8 to 12. Just a general idea. Here's what I want to do with my family next year. This is what we want to read together next year. This is what I want to do with, in my times with the Lord next year. It's different for everybody. Some people's plans are very detailed and God uses that and it works with them and they, they've got their hands all over the Scripture. Boom. For others, that might be intimidating. Um, I, I'd say begin... Mike, I'm just going to use you here. Mike just goes from beginning to end, right? Just going to open it up. Simple guy over there. Love it. I'm going to go to Genesis 1. I'm going to read it. Then Samuel. Then Job. Jeremiah. James. Revelation, guess what he's going to do? He's going to open it back up. Simple plan. Whatever it is, just have a plan. You've got 40 days to think of it. There's all sorts of things out there to help us cultivate our minds for godliness. Some I know, I've talked to, they, their days are so stretched, they get up in the morning and they got to go for an hour and a half before they even get to work. All right, let's get you an iPod with the blessed ESV on there. Just let it soak into your head. It's a free app, right? Just soaks into your head. Did you know, just letting you know, that if you were to listen to just 
20 minutes, I think it's 20 minutes on the other side of your drive, you could listen to the entire Bible in like 72 days. That's pretty cool. What are we going to do with our families? Right now we're going through the ABC's Bible verses because I just, I'm in a phase where I think we need to put it in the heart. And through residual effects, the two-year-old goes, a soft answer turns away wrath. Does he know, have any clue what that means? No, but it's, it's hitting him. Church community, I sat last week, we're putting together a calendar because we want you to be informed. Got a plan. But I will leave that to this. Live for today. Live for today. Is there, is there, let's just say it like this. Is there anything in your life that if you were to die today, you would have regrets? You didn't speak to this person. You didn't call this person back. You didn't have dinner with this person. Whatever it is, live for today. That doesn't mean it has to be accomplished today, but make that step. Hey, I've been trying to get time with you. Can we get that done? Not just to get her done, but because I want to spend time with you. Live for today. Maximize this day. Because you don't know and I don't know what's coming. I am but a mist that peers for a little time and then I'm vanished. My kids are but little three, six, four, and two mists that could be gone tomorrow. Am I going to regret it? That I didn't spend another, oh, well, i got to go do this. Daddy, build me a fort. Daddy, play this obstacle course with me. Okay. Okay. Could it be there's somebody in here you need to just get with? We bottle this stuff up inside and we carry it with us. We put our backpack of bitterness and selfish ambition on every day. Take it off. Go talk to someone. Live for today. And in your living, don't take advantage of people and don't store up earthbound treasures. Some of you have this book. I know, because I've given it to you. It's called A Quest for More. Living for Something Bigger Than You, Paul Tripp. If you have it, you need to revisit it. Because in there he says, we have a tendency to shrink our lives down here into our life. And then I've got, this is my life, and don't get in my life. And he says, that's living below. He said, you should live above because you were created for so much more. You were created to have people call you at 6 in the morning and 11 at night saying, hey, how do I figure life out? <sighs> okay, it's 6 in the morning, I know. Well, bro, we just, here's what we do. Let me encourage you. You and I were created to, to go to bed at night going, look yourself in the mirror. <laughs> My f- favorite pastor, the one who's taught me most in life, taught me how to read my Bible, how to pray, how to walk, said, at the end of the day, can you look yourself in the mirror? Can you shave and smile? Because if you can't, don't let the sun go down on that anger. Live for today. 
Because who knows? I say this all the time, and the Lord may take me home like Enoch. Just when I might not be here tomorrow. My wife might not be here tomorrow. I'm living for today. I got a plan for the future. I'm living for today. Father, we have a tendency in our words and in our works, in our planning, over-planning, lack of planning, in our living for earthbound treasures and luxury and self-indulgence and taking advantage of others and speaking evil to one another, our brothers and sisters who we will see for eternity, if we think about it, <laughs> We have a tendency to live small and shrink our lives by sin. We have a tendency to forget you. That's why we sing the songs. That's why it resonates in our soul. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. And Father, you know I used to wrestle with that verse until lately when I see I do the exact same thing. And so we ask for the fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing thy grace. Help us to see the streams of mercies never ceasing. Help us to call and sing songs of loudest praise. Keep teaching us those melodious sonnets sung by flaming tongues above. We're weak. We need your strength. And so like Luke says, give us the Holy Spirit so that you might find us faithful when you come back. It's in Jesus' name I pray.